Our very own wild panther, Mark Geyer, released a biography back in 1994. Obviously, he must have had some help writing it. The guy can barely read. Now, 28 years later, a lot has happened since. And now, it's a podcast. Welcome to Rugby League Rebel, part two, the Mark Geyer story. Don't worry, MG, there's no writing involved this time. In 1994, the book Rugby League Rebel, the Mark Guy story was first published. It tells the story of the man we all know as MG from his early days and humble beginnings of being bullied by a local kid everyone called crazy on the streets of Wayland to the highest heights of rugby league where he'd help Penrith to their first ever premiership and go on to represent his state of New South Wales and Australia. So much jam-packed into his first 27 years and the book ends... But he wasn't finished. He's lived another 27 years since then. We continue the rebellion. MG, uh, our story at this point, you've gone and done your time with the Western Reds. You've returned to the Panthers. You've mended that relationship. And now you are a retired footballer. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what's happened to me. It's And and, and then kind of it all hit me that, um, you know, I've, I've got to do stuff to... to to earn an income, um, mm. and I, I, I made a plan with my wife Meigs not to say no to anything, and um, I started selling um, shirts and jerseys out of the back of a car, and driving around to schools and sporting clubs to do that. And yeah, so I, I, I dipped my toe into a, the media, and I liked mm. it. I liked, um, I liked the rapport I had with the, the DJ, and you know, then I started doing sideline eye for ABC Radio and in the box for the same, the same entity, and. 2UE, 2GB, um, I work for all the uh, the AM stations. <laughs> well, and, you, I... and your media career is something we are going to explore in depth because it's you've actually been in the media now longer than you were yeah. our rugby league player, and we want to explore that at length. But the reason you're doing all these jobs is because you're now, at this point, you're a father of three, three? four. No, By 2001, um, you're a father almost... of four. Almost four, yeah. So right. Mav, Mav was born in. Uh, so yeah, I was. Uh, Mav was born in two thousand and one, fifth um, of uh, January. So I've and had... Raf and Raf, your daughter, your fifth daughter, your fifth child, would come along in two thousand and seven. Two thousand seven. Okay. So can we talk about what we want to do in this episode? Is is talk about MG, the dad, MG, the family man, and you've already spoken a bit about Meg's your wife, your best mate. Yep. You met when you were 18, and as she has been through all of this with you, was it always the plan to have a big family? No, we never planned anything. Um, we, I come from a family of four kids. Meigs comes from a family of five. So it was inevitable that we we're going to have, you know, a lot of kids. Um, so we had four pretty quickly, 95, 96, 99, 01. Um, then there was a bit of a gap to Raf, um, who we call Red Wine, because that was a little bit of a mistake one night. Um, <laughs> she, yeah, she's a bottler. But yeah, it was. Look, it's, it's been. It's one of them things. It's kind of like when when I when I used to ask um, the first graders, you know, when I was a young guy in under twenty three, I said, what, "What's it like playing at you know running out at Penrith Park in front of the crowd?" And they said, "We can't. We can't really describe it until you do it." Um, and they were right. And it's kind of like fatherhood. You, you can ask questions of people who have had kids. You can see, you can watch people who have had kids and try and learn stuff. But until you've actually had a kid, um, it's kind of learning on, on the spot. And I quickly realized that it was pretty hard work. And if it wasn't, um, you've got to, as a, as a dad, try and help out the, the mum as much as possible. I mean, as I said earlier in, in one of the podcasts we've done, I was lucky in the early years that um, Meg's mum, Leonie, was basically our nanny. She was, she came over to Perth with us. Um, then when we come back to Penrith, she lived, uh, she moved across, like just down the road from us. So she's always been really close. Um, and, and my mum was never far away either. So we've had a lot of help raising kids. But I think it's been, when I look back on my life, I think being a dad's been the most pleasurable thing that I've ever, ever done in my life. I, I, I I, when we won the comp in '91, when Roy Simmons scored that try, I never tasted, I never, I never felt sporting um, adulation or, or sporting ex ecstasy. That like I felt, I knew that when I won the comp. Mm. But when you see, when you see your bub come out, um, and they come out, and the first thing you say, are they healthy and, and all that type of stuff? It's a, it's a new world because all of a sudden, you have got somebody else to worry about beside yourself. Rips and, you open in the best possible way. 
Yeah, it does. You, you know yourself. You got you got two yeah. beautiful kids yourself, and um, every day is a different. Every day they learn. Every day they're doing something different. And and it was about when Logs was oh, he would have been five, probably. Yeah, he was five, so that would have been oh, just the end of two thousand. That's when I kind of got the bug back for um, footy, but not. I spoke earlier about how I was you know, doing some coaching with Penrith with the forwards. But I realised I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do something with the younger kids, with, with Logan in particular, because he was just about to embark on footy. And So I started to coach his team, and I coached his team for a few years. I love that. Um, you know, and, and I think I coached him up until under-15s and then stepped away from that. But each of my kids have been very, very sporting-minded. Um, I've given them the opportunity to do most things, you know, soccer and touch footy and Oz tag and netball and rugby league, swimming. They're all good swimmers. Um, but ultimately, they go back to the sport they love. And with the boys, it's been rugby league. And with the girls, it was netball. Um, and every one of them, I, I must say that watching the girls play netball gives me just as much thrill out of, out of watching the boys play footy. How are you as a, as a sporting parent? As a sporting dad, we know that uh, we know that there are bad ones and we know that there are great ones. But where, where do you put yourself on the spectrum? Well, you're probably... I know you're speaking to Mav later on in this podcast, and I, I, I coached him, but I learned my lesson from when I coached Logan because when I started to coach Logan, it was 2001, and I'd only just retired from footy. So I would go to you know Blacktown and um, Riverston and Windsor and Richmond and Mount Druitt, and I would be noticed straight away by the opposing teams. And if we were, if we were getting behind or their team would get was, was giving it to us, the coach would let me know about it. And oh, look at the, your team's not that good guy. You, yeah, all this. And, I, and instead of just ignoring it, I'd, I'd fire up and go, yeah, yeah, right, huh? And I well, think, I'm subbing in. I'm, I'm coming off the bench. I think Logs was a little, Logs, Logs kind of used to get a little bit embarrassed by it. You know, he said, Dad, don't worry about it. Like even, even at seven and eight, he said, Dad, don't worry about it. But I, I, I had that. That's, you know, the, the winning spirit still in me. But mm. with, when, by, by the time I got to Mav when I was coaching him, I'd, I'd learnt my lesson and just shut my mouth. But um, with the girls, yeah, like I, I've never I, – I know that Montana and, and Kennedy and Raf now in particular, though they say that, you know, when I'm on the sideline, if I if I had to happen to yell out and say, come on, babe, get, they'd just look at me. <laughs> and these guys, I told you, I told you. It's, it's very hard for a parent not to say things to their kids. I mean, we don't say things to make them – feel embarrassed we say things to encourage them but mm. most times especially if i'm a you know i stood out like you know what balls i i i'd have to kind of tone it down a lot but you yeah. know being a dad is being a dad you ask any father it's it's the best job you can ever ever ever, ever do i love it uh, there's there's no no matter how good your intentions at some point your kids will hit a point where even your support as well-intentioned as it might be, is not wanted because they just want to be their own person and you're embarrassing them no matter what you do. But you talk about you are a protective person. You are, for, mm. the, for the people in your life that matter, you are an incredibly protective person. Did, it, did you consider, given your run-ins that you'd had with the media earlier in your career and throughout your playing career, when Logues was first born, did you think... How do I shield him from the scrutiny that I come under as a footballer? Did, did you, no, did, was that no, a thought not, that you had in no, your mind? No, not straight away. No, it was only when he started to represent Penrith at a junior level like SG Ball and Harold Matthews and, and stuff like that that I started to. And when he made under, under 20s and stuff, I started to think, okay, well, I hope he makes on his, his own merit and he doesn't get you know confused with being my son, which is... It's easier said than done. Um, so Logue's kind of had a, a hard time, I think, establishing himself. You know, they once he got to grade um, in the under twenties, they all tried. You know, the, the, the hierarchy tried to turn him into a back rower. Hmm. Um, you know, Gus Gould was then at Penrith, and Trent Barrett was the under twenties coach, and they were putting him in the second row and uh, or the centre or fullback everywhere. But his, his specialised position of five eight. So that is that that. That angered me somewhat. I said, just give him a go at 5'8 and watch him go. But they, they never would. So I think Logue's lost... I think Logan in particular lost that that hunger for being a um, a top-flight rugby league player because he's got the, he had all the ability. He was a fantastic player. Um, but, yeah, I think the fact that being my son probably hampered him more so. Mm. Then Mav came along. Mav was... Le Mav kind of... Again, it's like when you have your first kid, you, you, the monitor is... 
right next to their cot. You're listening. To, you're listening to it for them to breathe. And yeah. and by the time you have your second, your third, your fourth, your fifth kid, you kind of you say no. Oh, spare parts. Right. There's spare the parts to, for the first the kid. <laughs> you get the dogs to go and check on them. Go and check on the bub. <laughs> <laughs> okay, they're fine. Good. Okay. Let's go. But yeah, it's like it's you get used to things. You know, you get used to being a dad and. You, you know the signs, and I, I, I love. I, I, there's nothing I love more than coming home from a day at work, at, no matter what time it was. When I was either at radio, doing radio, or doing, you know, working for Scat Sportswear, or or a day's labour with someone. I, I, in the back of my mind was always the kids are waiting for me at home, and that was one thing that I, I, I loved. I love more than anything. And now they're at an age where it's it's a different love because now they're my best mates. You know, now they're. Especially when the lockdown we just had, we've—I don't know if we would have got through it without each other. Um, and the first lockdown in 2020 was really hard, but then we made it what we made it. We made it. Um, our friendship kind of grew through the first lockdown. By the time the second lockdown came along, we were, we were old hacks at it, you know. So we could, but we we learned a lot about each other, and, and we've got each other's back. That's one thing that I've taught my kids along the line, along the along the way that. Family's always first before anyone, and and you never forget that. And they've they've carried they've carried that mantra. And I think Meigs is Meigs is um, Meigs in particular drives that. You know, she's she's the passive one out of the two of us. I'm obviously a, a big bad ogre, and um, she's always good cop and I'm bad cop. And I, I love that. That's you got to have yin and yang, and that's exactly what we are. We are going to speak to um, your daughter Montana and your son Mav a bit later in this pod. But you're the father of three girls. Lokes yep. came along first, then you, um, you and Megs are lucky enough to have two girls, and then Mav, and then Raf. So you're the father of three girls. What have you learned? I mean, in your era especially, we know that the world of, of rugby league has come a long, long way in um, integrating and embracing women in the sport. Yep. What has being a father of, of three girls taught you, and now women, taught you about handling and, and dealing with, with women? Um, I think it's taught me how to be more gentle with it. Um, I was lucky enough, I say, I had two sisters as well. And when I grew up, and, and my mum's only 16 years older than me, so she's like an older sister. Um, but I think when you have your own daughters, it, it teaches you to be a lot more gentle of a man and, and a lot more passive um, because you know that they're watching every move you make. It, it's it's never a true word spoken. It's monkey see, monkey do with your kids. Um, they just watch you like a, like a hawk and... Um, I think with the girls, it's a, it's it was an eye opener for me because um, it's a different kind of love that boys and girls give you. And you know, I'm I'm, all, I'm a very affectionate type of guy, and some of my kids are, some of my kids aren't, and um, same as my, myself with Meigs, we're kind of yin, yin and yang on that as well, which uh, it makes the world go round. But yeah, being a dad to three daughters, I I love it. I must confess, I, I I love the you know love the banter we have now. They're older. I loved it when they were younger. When I was taking them to sport, and I don't see much difference to be honest in having a, a boy or a girl as far as kids go. They they're yours, and they're yours to protect at any cost. And um, there's there's until until something comes along in your life when someone tests you on that, you don't realize how much or what what you do to to protect them. And it's happened to me. It's in without going into too many mm. details about it. Um, it was quite public, and my first instinct was to, to attack. But yeah. my daughter in particular at the time said, let's do, the, do this the right way. And mm. um, I, I admire my kids. I, 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 I watch them sometimes and just stare at them and uh, admire them from, for the boys and girls they've grown into because they're beautiful kids. Yeah. Um, the, the other factor about being the father of... of of girls and I have a six year old daughter. So this is a ways off down the track with me, but hmm. I can't imagine what life was like for that first brash, brave young man who walked into the guy household, presumably with your eldest Montana and said, hi, Mark, I'm Montana's boyfriend. I was quite good. Actually, I was actually quite good. <laughs> It was the it was the sisters the siblings that were going oh okay let's check this dude out, um, um I, you know my dad my dad growing up treated um, us kids very protectively sometimes too protectively um, it's the reason probably I, I moved out of home when I was eighteen um, because he wouldn't let us have 
a lot of friends over and wasn't, our house wasn't the party house. And as soon as I met Megan and her family, theirs was. And I thought, this is, this is what I like. I, I like this more. I, I think it's more, I think I'd like to have my kids around me for as long as I can. And the one way to do that is to encourage them to do everything they want to do at home instead of going to someone else's house. So that was kind of our mantra when we had kids. It was that if you want to do something, have it here, you know, invite whoever you want over. Um, you know, we've had endless parties at my house. We've had endless, you know, get-togethers with the kids. And, and usually the kids say, you know, I'll ask myself and me, can we put a party on? And we said, yeah, how many people? They're 15, 20, sweet. Make sure that there's no mess, no glass. And it's, it runs with precision because everyone knows their rule. They're, they're, everyone knows what their um, their line is in the sand. That's, they don't go too far with it. And no one ever has. Um, it's, a, it's a good thing. It's a great thing. It's it's. I, I here I am at fifty four, and um, you know we we were, I, I finished this book at when I went to Perth at twenty seven. That's another lifetime ago. And in the last twenty seven years, because Logan's twenty seven, I would l- easily say, easily, quite easily say that the second part of my life has been so much more enjoyable than the first part. I can hear a real sense of pride. I can hear it in your voice when you're talking about y- your home in in South Penrith that you've built with Meigs and. And for anybody who doesn't follow you on social media, particularly through the pandemic, <laughs> uh, the compound looked like the place to be. I mean, I've been there a couple of times when you've fired up and you got the fire rolling late at night and you've got to have stamina to, to go to a party at the compound <laughs> yes, because they, they run late. But when you when you talk about that, that env- environment you've created for the kids as a physical environment, bring your mates around, bring your friends around. If you want to have a party, do it here. If you, and, and it's in contrast to what you experienced, um, yep. in your childhood growing up, does that go on from not just a, a comfort with bringing people around, but do your kids, do you, do you have that relationship with the five kids that they come to you with their problems? Is, is that, does that, oh, yeah. have you created that relationship with the kids into their adulthood? Very much so. Very, and, and you can tell they're very transparent when there's something bugging them, or you know. And if it's if it's something that I identify, and I say to Meigs, babe, there's something going on. Can you you know get to the bottom of it? And she said, well, you can as well, Dale. You know, it's, we have this conversation with each other, and uh, and ultimately, I think it's it's yeah, it's like in life if you if you hide things and you um and I used to hide a lot of things from my parents. Well, don't get me wrong. Mum, there was that much love in my house; it wasn't funny. But it was just, a, <laughs> it was just that they didn't, Dad in particular, didn't embrace people from outside of the, you know, our own family. Where um, we ha- we do, we we embrace it. And if there's something that's troubling them, it's it's kind of nipped, nipped in the bud straight away. You know, it's because I think they've learnt to open up to us in a way that they would uh, their best mates as well. So and that, that gives me joy that they can come to us with problems and they can come to us with anything that's bugging them. Um, and, and particularly they can come with us with the knowledge that we won't judge them because they're ours. And, and whatever, no matter what they've done, good, bad or ugly, we can get through it together. And that's one thing I think they, they draw strength from. Any of the kids ever asked you to kind of talk you through the mistakes you made, uh, you know, earlier in your life and in your career? Have you ever sat uh, down, have, have any of them shown any sort of genuine curiosity uh, it, through those, you know, those troubled times that you had earlier in your career? Yeah, some, in, 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 sp- in spits and spats, I, I, I kind of like, we don't like to dwell upon stuff mm. like that that's come, that's gone our way and that's, you know, I, I just... <laughs> Sometimes they're on the internet and they they Google something and it's come up with me and like they go, oh, Dad, what was this? I went, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's just don't read it. And they, so they, then they read it and go, wow, wow, wow <laughs> you're crazy, man. And we're watching the great, we're watching the '91 Grand Final uh, three three or four months ago, and the kids were just saying, what what what, what was wrong with you? You can't tackle like that. What, also, that was a, that's how it used to be. That's how the, that was how I earned my money. That's how I earned my quid. It was like a, a prize fighter going out, you know, without without any gloves on to say, you know, bare knuckle fight, saying if you get beaten by this bloke, you're not going to put food on your table. Well, I was kind of, I, I had the same type of mentality as a footballer that this this bloke in the jersey across from me, he wants to take my spot in any rep sides, or he wants to he wants to make me look like a fool, and I I, I wouldn't would not let that happen. So. I think with the same with the kids. I like when they watch things or they hear of things that I've done in the past. Yeah, we've, we, we've spoken about it. Um, I know there was one 
incident where I they didn't know much about it. They were only young, um, Logan and Montana, and I was on the Sunday roast, and I'd done a story with the Daily Telegraph about my time at your minor, and saying how you know spaced out I was up there, and, mm. and I said that. So I was on the Sunday roast, and the Daily Telegraph came out the same day, and when I got home, they were all in tears, saying, and Megan was was, was angry at me, saying, "What? Why didn't you tell us that?" You know, I said because that was a part of my life that. I wasn't that happy about, and I didn't want to really burden you with it. She said, well, mm. why'd you talk to the Daily Telegraph about it? I said, well, obviously I'd, I I thought I was in a place of comfort, and I didn't know that it was going to be that transparent, but now mm. that it's done, it's done, and, and let's let's talk about it, and we did. And, you know, that's we got over it, and we got on with life like we always do, and for a couple of days I was in the doghouse, but I, I seem to find my way out of it every now and then. <laughs> So, By biting my way through the back door. <laughs> so, five kids. Um, yeah. And and how long have you and Meg's now been married? Um, well, we on the 30th of October, which was recently. Just recently. Uh, 20, 29 years. And 29 years married. For the last five or six years, um, we've, we've had to have somebody remind us of it because we always forget <laughs> our own anniversary. But I, but I met Megs in 1986. So I was, um, I was about to turn 19. She was, she was just, just she just turned 18. So we're both 18 at the time. And um, yeah, so it's been a long time we've been together. We know each other's nuances. We know each other mm-hmm. with inside out. And you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, as we're getting older together, it's, it's just a good place to be. Talk to me about. I mean, you just gave a little bit of an insight there into you do an interview, something that Mees hasn't really fully understood comes yeah. out and, and it affects her. But can you talk a little bit about the having her kind of as that ever-present factor in your life during this ride? Even the 26 years, you know, even yeah. the, the first stage of the book from when you met her, because that's in the book. And then from when Logs arrives and, and Meigs is a mum and, and through to this, the point where you've, you've, uh, you've got one kid left at high school and everyone's off forging their way. Um, I, often, I often think about what I, where I'd be or what I'd be doing um, without her. And uh, it's, not, it's, not a pretty, uh, it's not a pretty thought that where I'd be. I, I remember once we... We went on the uh, the footy show and they did a partner probe. So they'd asked about 10 or so, you know, um, girlfriends and wives of, of footballers and they did like five or six questions and and then the footballer would come on and try and match answers. And Meigs, um, they said to Meigs, where would, uh, where would Mark been if you hadn't met you? And she said, probably in Long Bay Jail. <laughs> and... She ended up winning. We ended up winning the. She won the partner program and got us a trip to the Crown um, Casino in Melbourne because she she nailed me. She she nailed and I nailed every answer that I gave. She nailed and she got it on you know on point. So she knows me more than anyone. She knows me more than myself. Sometimes she knows when something's going on. She knows when I'm I'm not feeling well. She knows when I'm bullshitting about something. And she she brings it straight to the head. She's very she's very abrupt when it comes to the truth. And that's one thing our kids aunt that I was a bullshit artist um so that's one trait that they haven't got from me I'd, I'd try and bullshit my way around anything and and not to get in trouble but and if it's one lesson I have to give my kids is as soon as you admit and I've said this on radio many times as soon as it's even modern day footballers as soon as you admit you've done a mistake you come out and, and say that the, the healing process begins then but the longer you keep going, the longer you keep playing the charade, it just draws it out. And it takes longer for people to forgive you once you've admitted you've done wrong. So I think our kids have done the same thing. If there's something wrong, they, they say, especially to me, mum, I've done this. Okay, well, it's, at, least you've, at least you've admitted it. And now mm. we can talk about getting over it and, and not to do it again. So, um, yeah, she's been a rock. She's, um, don't forget, she's had a brother who's been through the voyage as well in Brandy. Um, so she's kind of been double-pronged. Sitting, I can only imagine what it was like for her sitting in the grandstand of a um, opposing team back in the late eighties, early nineties, when we were, you know, doing our thing. Myself and Brandy and, and all the other spectators would just give it to me in particular, and and the Brandy, you know, because he was our best player. So and she would have to sit there and take it. Um, it would be, it's we often forget how hard it is for the 
the partners of, of rugby league players or sports people. Um, but yeah, she's very level headed. Um, always puts others first, and it's why we, I, I love her to death. I, 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 I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be where I am right now, even speaking to you on this podcast, without having her in my life. It's just mm -hmm. a, a really uh, steadying, steadying influence that she's given me. Um, she's given me confidence. I never listen to myself on TV or radio. I never listen to anything back, unless it's the boss give, doing an air check on radio or it's you know, the boss of a TV saying, just watch what you did then and see if you can... I, but I, I, when I was on, you know, done a bit of work with Channel 9 and with Fox and then in my radio career, I've never listened to myself back. And if I get home and Meg's, because Meg's listens to everything I do, she, she says, babe, why'd you say that for? I go, oh, well, I'm in shit. <laughs> I'm in big trouble. Um, <laughs> it used to happen a lot on the on Brecky Radio that she gets surprised by things I'd say and then I'd get a text message straight away. She goes, pull your head in, come on. You don't, <laughs> you don't have to be that. You don't, I know you've got to give a bit to the, to the cause, but you don't have to be that open. You know, it's... <laughs> Some things can remain with us. You flip, uh, but yeah, she's um she's awesome. Man. You've you, you've met Meg, you know what she's yep. like. She's she's the she's the best. She's the queen of Penrith, and um, mm. and I'm far from the king, but she is the queen. I I love hearing you. I love I love hearing you speak about your family and and your wife and your kids because as you say, I've met them all, and and I and you you can see a, a change of gears when you when you talk about your kids and your family. And I know you love rugby league, and you're honest about how much it's given you and it's it's put you where you are. But I also it's it's very evident to me that your family is is the thing that comes first. And even if you've read the book the original, the Rugby League Rebel, um, you talk about the importance of family and that and your sisters and uh, your brother and your mum and dad and all that really shines through. So it's no surprise to me that um, where you are in life now and with your kids and your family and, and the, the parties at the compound, um, it's still the number one number one thing in your life. Did Meigs ever, with those, that's an interesting point I hadn't considered, those moments in the grandstands of watching both you and her brother, mm. Brandy, did she ever bring? Did she ever share any of it? Did she ever say, "Oh, geez, you were copying it today"? No, mum and dad would. Mum and dad would. Uh, dad would have to get drunk half the time to watch me play because he couldn't handle what people were saying about me, and oh. um, and he didn't want to get into a blue, so he'd just have a drink on his own. And but mum wouldn't. She'd fire up and say, "You bit, that's that, my son. You this and that." And, and then Meg would have a smile on her face after the game, and I said, oh, "You copped it, yeah." She goes, "Oh, what? You you copped it, not me." <laughs> but yeah, she oh, very level head. And Megan's mum, Leone, very similar to my mum. They, you know, if someone was saying something about Brandy, um, she would let them know. She, you know, she, in no uncertain terms, that's my son. Don't you dare say it while, in, while I'm in the vicinity. And um, yeah, they got some. They've got some kahunas, I must say, because it's uh, you, you, you're in a crowd, a hostile crowd, and. But that's family first. You know, that nothing matters when you your love for your family overpowers anything else. Even rival spectators you've never met mm. giving it to you deluxe with both barrels and having the fortitude to just to stick up for your kid without even fear or I think any parent who's listening to this podcast would do the same thing. It's not just whether you're a first grader or um it's it's anything. Your kids are your your life and and your partners yeah you, you I was very lucky to, to meet my partner when I was young and, and um, you know, I, I, I knew I was in love straight away. I just had that, um, that, that my heart wouldn't stop pounding every time I'd think about her and she was the same, luckily for me. So we kind of, you know, met at a young age and growing old together is, is, our, is our favourite pastime and watching our kids getting older and, you know, let's, uh, let's, Let's hope this, the next uh, 27 years of our life are exactly like the first 27 and the last 27 and the third 27. <laughs> well, you've got, we are about to be joined by your daughter, Montana, just quickly before they, they join us. Um, you, your son, Mav's going to jump on as well for a bit of a chat. Hopes for the kids. I mean, the, you know, Logs is, Logs is 28 now. 27. Yeah, 27. And, yeah, and um, Raf, Raf is, is what, 16 now? She's 15 now, Raph. 15, She's about eight. to turn 16. Hopes for the kids. I mean, you've got from, from 27 through to 15. Hopes for the kids? Um, well, Logan's, Logan and Montana uh, basically run MG Active, our gym mm. in Penrith. Uh, they've, they've both got their Cert 3 and Cert 4. and 
Um, they are doing a fantastic job. Um, it makes my life doing radio a lot easier when I know that our family business has been looked after by two of my kids who just give it as much love as I would if I was there. Mm. Kennedy Kennedy's in uh, Wollongong. Um, she does a bit of studying at uni, a bit of photography. She works a couple of jobs. She loves the beach. She's she's our hippie chick of the family. She's our <laughs> she's our free spirit. Um, then there's Mav. Mav's Mav's just in the middle of a, a second preseason um, uh, training regime with the Panthers and loving every minute of it. Um, he's he's thriving upon the fact that hopefully Touchwood um, he can go through injury un, uh, uninjury yeah. free. And have a have a you know a successful season, but even if he doesn't, he's having fun. Um, and Raf, well, Raf's just our Raf. Raf's the the moral compass of the the family. Um, she's the youngest. She sat through a couple of lockdowns where we've all been drinking. She's sat there drinking <laughs> diet coke, or and just I can only imagine some of the shit that she would have heard from the the six of us. You know, but she's just got such a level head and she's a beautiful, beautiful kid. And uh, they all are. They all are. And my hopes mm. and dreams for them is to be, for them to be as happy as um, that me and their mama um, after, yeah. you know, 35 years together. Yeah. And to keep being comfortable coming to dad, whether it's Anytime, for a beer you know, like, or whether it's with a yeah. problem. Home's, home is his home. No matter what age you are, not matter, no matter where you are in your life, there's always going to be a a bed and a meal for you at our joint. And we've got three at home at the moment. Uh, Logan has moved out with a couple of mates into a, a nice little penthouse in, in uh, a new, new part of Penrith, um, having the time of his life. And we've got Montana and Mav and, and Raf living at home. So it's, and myself and me, it's, it's fantastic. We watch movies together. We, we, we're a normal family. We're a normal family who mm. just loves each other's company. And then the pressure's going to be on because MG wants to be a pop. Oh, doesn't he what? <laughs> so, I think I think in the couple of years with the gym, um, we've um, we opened the gym in 2020 in February, and then we went straight into lockdown for three or four months. So, um, and over that period of time, I think over the, there's been about 12 members of our members have kids in mm. the two or three years that have transpired since, and they bring them in in their first of all they're in the you know, asleep in their bassinets at six months old, and all of a sudden now they're three and four, and I'm going, wow. Yeah. So I'm watching those kids, and I'm just thinking, you know, I'm really good with the kids, and I, I, I just, my day will come. My you day, will I'm, be, it will come, and you they will won't be. See, my kids won't see their own kids. I'll say, no, I'm taking them for a couple You will days, be so. an outstanding <laughs> grandfather. Meigs will be incredible. You two will be one of the greatest yeah. set of, like, I've got, both my kids have got grandparents, yeah. but if I was after another set, I'd come knocking on your door. My daughter <laughs> had the rare privilege, and it's, I know this is about you, but I'm going to tell a story of my own for a moment. We were over for the first ever State of Origin game in Perth, um, getting ready for that. We were staying at the very nice uh, Crown Hotel just next door to the Optus Stadium, and we went out the first night we got over there. Uh, and you and I and uh, producer Charlie and, and a couple, one of your reprobate mates and, um, and my wife, Alana, we went out for dinner, and we had a few drinks. Yep. And we had, a, Alana and I had a, a daughter with us at the time who who maybe was four, maybe three or thereabouts. Three and a half, I think she was. There you go. And we went, <laughs> we went out for dinner and Quinn tagged along. And then as we were walking back to the hotel, um, you've given Quinn a shoulder ride, right? And she refers to you as MG the giraffe because you're <laughs> so much taller than I am. And I when I give her a shoulder ride, she likes it. But when she you gave her a shoulder ride, she was like, Holy shit, this is a view I've never had before. <laughs> You've given her uh, MG the giraffe, and she raved about that shoulder ride for bloody years afterwards. Mm. Uh, whenever she would hear um, your name on the radio, she, MG, that's my friend. <laughs> and and then oh, Alana and I woke it. up the next morning a little bit dusty, and we're like, yeah. we just put our three-year-old on a fairly intoxicated mark guy's shoulders <laughs> But only not, but not just on my shoulders. I had her standing up, if you remember. She, and she was standing up on my shoulders, and I had the back of her legs. And she was walking along about eight foot eleven. And she absolutely and loved, she loved it, it. And I had zero. But this is my point. You will be when your time arrives. You and me will be absolutely outstanding grandparents. I can't wait to see. Now we've asked MG to step away for this part of the episode because I want our next guest to be able to speak with freedom without fear of uh, interruption from her father. Uh, Montana Guy, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. No, thank you for coming on. Um, 
Montana, the second of the Gaia children. The only one born in Perth, though. A little badge of honour for you uh, away from the other four. Yes, I was born in Perth. Um, everyone else was born here in Sydney, and I kind of like to play on that a little bit. When everyone asked me, oh, where were you born? I was like, oh, yeah, I was born in Perth. Yep. I'll, I'll take that. The Western Reds baby. The Western Reds baby, yeah. Why were you born in Perth? Oh, Western Reds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bring him back. <laughs> Bring him back, exactly right. So, first question, what is it like having Mark Guy as your father? Um, it's different because, like, it's – you get. I'm not saying he's a different person outside of the home, but when we were growing up, it was, it was like having a fifth sibling before Raf came along. Um, he was just a massive kid. I mean, he would come up with the most – random games like Sunday Night Man and like we'd be outside in the pool and he'd say the last one that gets to the trampoline like he'd try and get us and just make up all these random games for us to play and we'd always be outside or doing something inside and then away from that like outside of like being at home when we'd go out to dinner or be in public or something and all these people would come up to him and ask for photos or an autograph and it was it was really cool as a little kid or like growing up thinking like oh your dad's some f- really famous guy like but in in at, at home he was just so normal and like being Sunday night man on a Sunday night like it was just it was What it was is fun. Sunday night man we need to know <laughs> I need to unpack this a bit what is Sunday night man Oh, Sunday night. He made it up one night. We were all like bored at home and he was like, all right, I've got a game. And there's a kind of like a separate room out the back of our house. And he said, all right, everyone has to start in here. All the lights are going to go off and I'm going to go hide in the house. And you have to make it from this room all the way to mum and dad's room at the other end of the house without me getting you any would find these, I don't even know where he would find them in the house, but he'd find these wigs or masks or something like that to put on and we'd all be like crawling on the ground trying and it was like he would come out of nowhere and we were all like, oh, Mav would have only been like seven or six when it started, so we were all pretty young and he'd come out of nowhere and just it was we would be so so scared like trying to crawl through our own house he might have come out of nowhere we didn't know where he was coming from but um yeah that's and it, every night every sunday night from then it would just be sunday night man like we'd get in the back room and try and get to mum and dad's room in the pitch black <laughs> Of the house, it was so funny, so fun. It's, give, but. it's giving you, it's giving you a little insight into what some of the op- opponents in the early nineties used to think when you'd come <laughs> creeping around the field with the coat hanger ready. To yeah. <laughs> Tell me, when did you first realise? I mean, you spoke then about going out for dinner and and people come up and ask Dad, as you know him, because he's yeah. he's just Dad to you. Yeah. When did you realise? And when do you did you do you remember understanding? Oh, actually, Dad's quite known and he, he he's known to, to more the people than just me and Logs and, and mum. Yeah, so I think, I don't know, maybe being in – I can't pinpoint like one exact mo- like light bulb moment that I knew that he was this well-known footy player. But I guess like in primary school like and all the boys would like come up to me and be like, oh, is your dad like Mark Guy, the footy player, like and stuff like that. But I think growing – I think I started noticing it more when I – growing up like going through school and being in the workplace and I would be able to have adult conversations with like teachers or work colleagues about dad and how like how he's doing on the radio or like how like he's doing on tv or like going to gigs or something like that and I was able to contribute more to the conversation rather than just saying yeah he's like this famous footy player kind of thing so I think being able to actually talk more about it um, with people older than me was kind of when I was like, oh, like he's pretty, he's a pretty big deal kind yeah. of thing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's good in that aspect now, like especially at the gym, like me and other members can just talk about him like it's a normal conversation, not about yeah. him, but like what he's doing like on the radio and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. Was it, I mean, Penrith is a, it's, you know, Penrith and the, and the area is, is, it's a big area, but it's a small area because, yeah. you know, everybody knows everybody. And yeah. Gaia, 
it's it, by, by the time you start going to school, that's a famous name. Well, I mean, yeah. did you were, were there days when you're like, oh, fuck, I wish I wasn't Montana Gaia? I don't know. I think like I, especially in, I don't know, I think not so much in school because I was like after primary school, I was at an all-girls school. So um, no one really spoke about it at school. Um, like teachers, obviously, like, um, like I said before, but I think, um, even in mostly in sport, like when I started to hit an age, like where, um, there was rep teams involved and everything like that. And it was always at the back of my mind, like were people talking about me or like saying that I was being selected for these teams purely because of who my dad was or because of my last name. And I think growing up that played a, like a, a big part in my mind, like was I actually good enough to make these teams or was it just because my dad was who he was? But uh, other than that, like it's uh, like you said, Penrith is a small place and everyone knows everybody. So like mm. you be, I'm, I'm just used to it now. Like we all are like as a me and my siblings, like there's going to be people that just walk up to you and just be like, know who you are just hmm. from how dad talks about us or like what he posts on social media and stuff like that so because he's always posting about 50 <laughs> stories a day so um but yeah it's it's what it is you know what I mean so um we don't mind yeah your dad talked about the idea of he he always tried to create an environment for you and and your brothers and sisters at the house of yeah hey come here Mate, I want I want you here. I want you if you want to have parties, come here. I want I want you doing stuff here. I want that atmosphere around it. Um, did you like? Did you love that he wanted that environment around the house? Did you Did you love telling your mates, "Hey, come around here this weekend. Um, yeah. Dad's Dad's putting on a Barbie, and we're or we're we can have the party here." Yeah. So, like, I think. Growing up, like I was, we always wanted to go out. Like we always wanted to be like, oh, my, like my friends are having a sleepover. Like I want to go there. But he would be like, no, like, to, like just tell him to come here. Like obviously because what he said, he, he's he's so protective and like, you know, you just never know kind of thing. But like mm. growing up, um, like we always wanted to go. But now that we're older and we've all kind of been back at home for a while, having him and mum be the way that they are in that sense it's crazy like we we literally have like we we had a party in lockdown like every day during lockdown and like I know like people couldn't come over then but like now if we want to have friends over or like anything like that it's literally just like yep yeah, sure let's let's get everyone here let's get everyone together kind of thing and that's the kind of environment we've always grown up in so um yeah, it's it's. I'm really lucky that it's been like that. Even though we always wanted to do things like get out of the house when we were younger. Like when you grow up, you really appreciate it for what it is. Like what it is now. Like having mm. everyone together, kind of thing. Yeah. And that's just what him and mum like drill into us. So it's yeah, it's the best. <laughs> it's crazy, but it's the best. <laughs> when you get asked about. Um... I guess advice that your parents have given you over the years. It, it's it's a weird question because you're like, yeah. well, I, I can't pinpoint it. Like I've I grew up with these people. They were telling yeah. me stuff every single day. I I remember the very first show I ever did with your dad um, when we started doing our show. What was it in 2018? Yeah, I messed up something I was trying to say. <laughs> we were recording something and I messed up something I was trying to say, and I said, ah, oh, shit, let's start again. And he said, he's like, mate, the people we're talking to and the people who are listening to this show, they make mistakes with the way they speak every day. You don't have to be perfect. And, I, and I've taken that radio, like that's one of the lessons that I still carry with me to this day, however many years on. Yeah. And that's a tiny lesson that he's given me. Can you, are there a couple of things that you have taken now as a 26-year-old that you carry from your dad? Well, like you said, Liam, he's not really an advice guy, is he? Like he, he's he's very like straight up to the point. And I think growing up playing sport my whole life, it, I'm not going to say like tough love. Like he wasn't like he wasn't a tough love kind of guy. But just having that no bullshit um, influence, like with especially sporting, like it's what I needed in particular. But 
his main kind of thing was just to like for me was just to focus on you and do what makes you happy and I've carried that throughout my whole life like not just in sporting but like through through literal through life through work through school like if it if mm. something's not making you happy then don't do it like and I think that's what I think a lot of people can resonate with that kind of advice but it's easier said than done if it's not it's if it's not making you happy don't do it but I don't know he he's just very much like do what's good for you kind of thing like him and mum like they're just yeah. they're very he he might not seem chill but he he's very chill like he's he, yeah he's chill um in that side of like in that sense like we'll just go with the flow and tell us to do you kind of thing like yeah, yeah. it's a hard bit it's a it's an you're right though it is an easier it's a piece of advice that is easier said than done yeah because it's very in growing up everybody feels the pressures of their peers and and just because dad's telling you just do what makes you happy doesn't necessarily make it an easy yeah, thing exactly. to do yeah have there been, when you, I asked this of your, your dad and he kind of danced around it a little bit. He seems, as much as he's, he's, he's a, was a hard man on the field, but he, we all know he's a big softy. Mm. Was there a time when you brought a boy home? Was there a time when you brought the first boyfriend home or the, you know, that you, who met your dad, who's also this former rugby league hard man? Yeah, the... There has been. I've only ever had one boyfriend, and it was we went. I can remember it to. I can remember it vividly. We went out to dinner, um, and that like he hadn't been here yet or anything like that. We we went out to dinner, and it was like my whole family. And being like a family of seven, it's very daunting. For it was very daunting for me because I'm the oldest girl, and. I didn't know what to expect um, from him, but you know what? Like, there, there's really no like horror story. Like he, like it was, it was awkward as hell. Like so, so awkward, and you just want to like crawl up into a ball and die because it's just so awkward. <laughs> Bringing a boy around, like any any girl or boy could attest to this, but like, um, he's. He makes it, he made it like light and funny. And like, I was just dying for like Ben, my boyfriend at the time. But like, mm -hmm. <laughs> it was, it was so like, it was better than I expected, which was the opposite of what I expected from him. Yeah. So I was pleasantly surprised with him that night. But yeah, there's just, bit, there's, there's times like when we were younger, like he, when he would embarrass us on purpose, like he would, we'd be driving in the car and he'd, um, I'd be in the passenger seat or in the back seat or something, and he'd pull up to a tra set of traffic lights or just people walking on the sideline, uh, side sidewalk, mm. and he'd lock the windows when he wound them down, and he'd like pull up right next to these people and be like, um, "Excuse me," or like say something, and then he'd duck. So we were in the line of fire, and like we'd have to just sit there and try and like slink down the seat. And he's the kind of person that will like with us kids, he'll and. Him, him, he's lucky like that. He doesn't get embarrassed easily, whereas, like, I do. So anything that he tries to do, I'm like, stop it. Like, I love it. But, yeah, it, it's good. It's fun. Like, he's fine. He's, Is it, he's oh, it's He's more than fine. He's. I mean, you, uh, when you said at the beginning that it felt like just having an extra sibling around, yeah. uh, he's, a, he's a man who uh, can't help but he, he draws eyes when he walks into a room, but he sounds like he just... He made your house growing up with the parties and, and the lockdowns and even and the Sunday night, man, which I'll now never forget. That is a brilliant game. I'm going to try I that with my knew, kids I at home. I thought you knew about it. I've never heard about Sunday night, man, before, but I'm going to go and play that with my kids this weekend. That's a that's you an awesome it's the game. Best game ever. That's so, such a good game. Uh, Montana, thank you so much for coming on and sharing some memories about about who the wider community knows as MG, but you, he's, for you he's just dad. Which is yeah. um, which is a special relationship that everybody. It's a funny thing with athletes because everyone feels like they have a personal attachment to them and a relationship with them, yeah. 100%. Because they watch them on TV or they see them at the footy ground. But as I said to you and to the other four, he is just dad. So it's a it, that's a relationship that no one else gets to have. Yeah, exactly right. Like, <laughs> and we're like we're proud of him. Like, so proud of him. Like every day. Like just from from like everything that he does. Like and everything that he is as a person. So. 
he's he's him and he's he'll never change and we don't want him to change really like he's he's the best ever but yeah thanks for having me and it's been great to chat about nah. Oh, it's MG. been amazing to chat. Yeah, about MG, exactly. Well, <laughs> no, we'll have to pick this up in, in another 27 years and get you to break down MG the businessman after yeah. after MG Active continues to grow into the behemoth that it is. That would be very interesting to see. <laughs> Montana, thank you so much, bud. Thanks, guys. From Montana, we now pivot to... There were headlines for those that didn't see them about 12 months ago about... Penrith's found its new MG, uh, which is an unfair tag to put on anybody, let alone the actual son of Mark Geyer. Uh, we're joined now by Maverick Geyer. G'day, Mav. Liam, how are you, brother? What's happening? Oh, mate, I'm good, mate. How are you, more importantly? Yeah, good, thanks. Great. This, we just spoke to Montana about dad, about MG. Um, what... what Talk to me in 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 brief about having Mark Guyer as your dad. Yeah, um, yeah, it's been I don't know, it's sort of changed throughout the years. I think when I was a bit younger, um, didn't really understand it. But like, I think if I lived somewhere else other than Penrith, it wouldn't be as big of a deal. But I think this is where he was, as big as he was. So, um, and I'm playing the sport he played, so it's literally like, you know what I mean? Like I'm replicating exactly what he did. So I couldn't have chose a difficult path. But anyway. Nah, it's cool. Um, he's my dad. Uh, like, I think through high school was a bit tough. You know, you get the smart asses. Like, you're only in the team because of your dad, and you start believing that every now and then. Um, but I think now it's like, I've yeah, I, I love it. He's my dad, and he is who he is. I couldn't, I'll never change it. Um, I think I'm sort of lucky that, like, you realise that it's sort of lucky that he is who he is, and there's other opportunities that you can get, and you're meeting different people and. Yeah, so I think now that I'm a bit older and a bit more mature and don't get, you know, don't get angry when someone mentions it straight away, um, I can handle it a lot better. How did you, how did you, but how did you deal with that? Because, I mean, I didn't didn't go through it myself, but having played sport footy coming up, I, I would have been one of those smart asses. I was, because yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't physically capable of actually hurting anybody, but I, my weapon was my mouth and I would have been one of those smart asses trying to take shots at you that you're yeah. only in the team because of your dad. Yeah, no, nah, definitely. I think the high school um, was when I struggled the most with it. Um, like, say, 11 and 12 or year 10 even. Mm. Just when, you know, I was going through that stage of um, puberty and whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, when your hormones are highest and you're angry sort of all the time. Or you just like, you, you don't know what to take your frustration out or not. So, I think, yeah, I just handled it by, um, I think my coach, David McKinnon, actually said to me, he um, said, you know, like, there's one way you can look at it where... You can just not give a shit about what they say or you can care entirely. So, And Dad sort of said the same thing. Like, who cares what they're saying? Like, mm. As long as you can tackle them the next play and get it, like, get them back. So that's all that really matters, just take them back, like get them back in the tackle, which is sort of what I like was trying to do as well. So there's different ways to look at it and different ways to uh, deal with it. But I think just through time and, um, yeah, like maturity got me through it, I guess. Yeah. You now, you and, and you mentioned it, you are now um, you're on contract at, at the Penrith Panthers, um, a, a club where your dad made his name, and and I spoke to Montana about the fact that Penrith is a big area, but it's a small it's a small place, um, yeah, and no, even definitely. smaller when you're carrying that fa- that famous surname at the same club. What has your experience been like being a guy on the books at the Penrith Panthers? Um, yeah, well, like literally, like it's like a normal person because. Um, like especially um, now that I'm full time, so guy is just yeah, it's the same sort of thing. Like I'm playing with a Cleary and a you know a Yo. Like they're right now they're famous names in Penrith sort of thing. So I'm lucky enough to play with sort of I'll just, I'm just a normal player now, and like which is what I love. So I think it's more like a Maverick thing than a guy thing at the moment. Like because there's there's pay, there's players in that team now that I think to, like take the shine a bit. I guess, you know, you get like your occasional like um, chat at the pub uh, every now and then and um, you get recognised maybe like from him a bit more than other people would. But other than that, it's pretty like pretty similar. Um, yep. At training, yeah, everyone obviously treats you. They don't give a shit um, who, yeah, who you know or uh, who your dad is. So, yeah. The, I know I know through conversations with your dad that you there were there are other options for you. To, as far as, um, you know, going to other clubs. Was there a part of you that thought, 
I want to forge my own path out of dad's shadow. Did you, was there a part of, was that a part of your consideration when you were going through the process? Uh, not really, eh? Like, I think for me, it was just sort of like, I'd rather stay with my family longer. That's what uh, made me choose, choose Penrith and then realising that I've got an opportunity to sort of um, do what dad did at the club he did. Like, I think that's, that's what I was looking at more. I didn't really care about the shadow like that. Like, yeah, when you live with the, like him and he's your dad, you don't really look at it that way. Um, I just think maybe other people would look at it that way, but I never really have, which is, I guess, lucky. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, nah, that never really sort of crossed my mind when deciding it. It was sort of like where I want to play footy and what's the best opportunity for me. Well, you've picked a pretty good club to, yeah, to develop and grow. They're going, <laughs> They're going all right. Well. Yeah. The thing that is that is coming through more and more, and your dad spoke about it a bit earlier on, is this idea of, of the importance of family and staying connected, not just through talking, but through physic, like physically staying close to one another. And I can hear that coming through in Montana, and now I can hear it a bit about you in it, in it impacting your decision to want to be at Penrith and take up the opportunity that was presented with the Panthers. I just learnt from Montana about Sunday night, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. we are talking about a grown man uh who montana described more like a sibling than a dad in the early days are they the memory like is that how you in your younger years obviously you yeah. now have a different relationship with him as you're a, you're a man now but in those early days as a, as a kid is that are they your memories of him as well oh definitely um sunday night man was one of the main ones where <laughs> i think nuns would have or montana would have touched on it like just, yeah, every Sunday, yeah, so fun. Like, especially when you're younger and you get scared easy. Imagine, you know, pitch black crawling through the house and his big footsteps, like, creeping up on you. Scary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and then, yeah, other stuff like that, yeah. It's like, especially because I'm a boy as well, so I think, you know, he could be a bit more rougher than that with me, um, mm. me and Logues. So, yeah, like a sibling and... But you know when he wanted to be your dad, so... <laughs> Oh, you, you, so, but no, you did, but you knew that line. You could tell when he switched from, from mate mode to dad mode. Yeah, definitely. Like if I would ever sort of, um, you know, little kids or going, even going through my teenage years, like if I ever stepped out of line or yeah. like, he would never like, he's not like a bloody psycho, but he'd, he'd make sure you like, he wouldn't do it again. You just play mate, that's not on sort of thing. And you'd go from there. And if I did it again, then. But he talks me it, in the pool or something. <laughs> well, he, but he talks about wanting to make that create that environment at the house where he wants he wants if you kids want to have a party or there's a weekend coming up and everyone wants to party, do it at the house. Do it. He wanted you guys there. Yeah. What was that? I mean, for you as a as a young bloke having these parties with mates, is it, did your mates love that? Or did you enjoy the fact that your house was the the center of it, and because it's the way your dad and and your mum wanted it to be? Yeah, like my mates always came over for swims and that. I think Logan's and Montana's mates would have gone a bit more, and like just because they're a bit older and that. Um, mm. But yeah, I loved it. Like and just having everyone over all the time, like even Christmas and all that stuff. Um, I think that yeah, that just loves having people over, and so does mum. And yeah, it's just cool to you know have people at your house and show that they love having people there and my mates always welcome to come over like regardless if they were struggling or if they just coming over for a sleepover um they'd always be welcomed and yeah I'm glad they feel that way too yours is a I mean Logues went through it um playing footy and, and obviously your dad talked about the fact that he's gone through helping um, you know giving advice to your sisters as they've gone on to high levels of, of playing netball but yours is a um a, I guess a unique, you've all got unique relationships with your dad, but particularly yeah. because of the path you're taking now with footy, how much do you, do you lean on him and how much does he offer in terms of trying to give advice with your footy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I lean on him a lot. Like I think dad's, um, he's pretty straightforward. Like if I come and said to him tomorrow, which I never would, like I'm done with footy. Like you go, you know what, mate? like whatever you want to do sort of thing mm. because he knows I'm committed and he knows that that's what I love he's going to like sort of push me a bit more like because he can see that I love doing it like he would never make me do something I didn't want to do mm. so I think that's that's comfortable to know, like feel that way that if I came home tomorrow and said you know I don't want to play footy mate I'm over it you go yeah whatever let's go have a beer sort of thing like um, 
so that's good to have in the back of my head where it's not stressful about like I'm playing it because I love it so it's all up to me and um in terms of advice like he said sort of from the start actually like I remember from as long as I can remember um be the shepherd not the sheep that's sort of something that he's he's always sort of driven towards us us kids and um I think that just means that you know do your own thing in 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 sense like just yeah don't be the shepherd uh be the sh- oh you want to be the be- shepherd <laughs> yeah be the shepherd not the sheep so you know don't don't be a follower just for the sake of it just you know do your own thing and um if people don't like that then that's up to them not you you can't change that that's amazing that's, it's, that's, it's, i think that's the best advice he'd given me and something i remember he's been saying it nearly every weekend on the way out when i was 18 19 you know don't be the shepherd mate just in life decisions and stuff you do like don't follow the crowd do your own thing it's funny because it's a very similar conversation i just had with montana about the idea of doing do what you want to do not falling in with the crowd and it's it's a great piece of advice it sometimes can be hard to follow but the fact that oh, your dad yeah. putting that on you every weekend um yeah, yeah. and if it might not as work 100% now like like even though I might slip up every now and then and do something that yeah. I might regret maybe like when I get older and you always mature by the time I'm you know 30 40 I'm doing exactly what I want to do sort of thing so yeah I think yeah instilling that at a young age might help that yeah Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully. Um, is there, I mean, are there any times where, and because not only does he have that footballing history behind him, but he's also still a very prominent person in the rugby league world with his commentary and his radio work. Are there times where you kind of go, oh, fuck, I wish dad wasn't, um, you know, wasn't so high profile? Are there times where you go, you know, geez, Dad, just can you just lean out of this one for a moment? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, like as I said, but especially when I was younger, like I would, people would ask me, you know, any relation, and I'd say, oh, nah, just like <laughs> just to save the hassle sort of thing. But I think, you know, looking back on it, like I did what I did back then, I can't really change it, but, you know, it's my dad, like it's a bit selfish for me to sort of say, or like, like it's just him, like I can't change who he is, and it's, mm. I'm so proud of who he is and what he's done, so. It's not really about me, it's about him. And, um, you know, if, and I'll, if someone wants to talk to me at the pub about him, I guarantee you it's probably because he knows him and actually wants to have a chat with me. Like, so that's Do, you, do you get a bit of that? Do you get a bit of the old timers now wanting to hit you up and talk about yeah. p- talk about your dad? I think I did when I first, like when I first turned 18 and started going to pubs and someone would recognise me and um, have a chat with me and stuff like that. And at first I was getting a bit annoyed with it, like, but now I love it, like, love hearing old stories of dad and stories that I've, I've never even heard before and stories that they can sort of tell me now that I am a bit older, like um, some crazy <laughs> ones, but maybe for another podcast. <laughs> um, I love yeah, the like... idea that you're coming home one day going, hey, dad, I met <laughs> John at the pub today. <laughs> yeah, shits himself. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Mav, as I said, at the top when you can't, you joined us, I mean, when I saw the headlines, oh, Penrith's fan, that's new MG. And I thought, I knowing you a little bit and knowing your dad well, I thought, I don't like. I didn't like it because I was just like, this This is Mav guy, not Mark guy. He's going to be his yeah. own bloke. He's going to, he's forging his own path. But do you now, do you have a sense, do you, I imagine you carry, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I imagine there's a real pride in you about continuing the guy legacy with the Penrith Panthers now. Yeah, no, definitely, like, it's so crazy, like, that I get this opportunity to, um, like, it's sort of like a movie, like, like I get to sort of follow my dad's footsteps, like, you you never really get that opportunity, like, to be on a big stage and do exactly what he did for the club, same sort of position, um, like, far out, like, you couldn't write a better strip, like, if you look at it that way, then, like, you just sort of take every day grateful, and if you... I think, yeah, when I was younger, I didn't really see that side of it. I was just, like, sort of selfish and didn't really, wasn't grateful for, like, I was obviously, I love my family no matter what in that, in that way, but when it's uh, towards footy, yeah. So now it's just, as you said, yeah, pride and, like, this opportunity that I have now is it's crazy and I'm just going to take it, like, with my full hands and have a crack. Yep. Well, if this is a movie, Mav, I think the fairy tale ending, just saying, I don't want to jinx it, but... Yeah. Stay fit, stay healthy over this off-season, please. 
Will do. I'll try. <laughs> and we don't want to jinx it, but we know what the fairy tale ending would be at the end of 2023, but we won't go there just yet. Yeah, hey, Mav, um, mate, thank you so much for coming on, having a chat about, um, as I said to Montana, we all know him as MG, Mark Guy, but do you, he's, and to the other four kids, he's just dad. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing your, your thoughts and your, and your memories of your dad. Oh, anytime. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, MG, we should say a big thank you for making your kids available for this episode. It was uh, it was quite revealing and emotional too. Well, that's the first time I've heard it. And, uh, yeah, they've um, you can see why I'm so proud of my kids, and in particular mm. the two who spoke. Um, I, I, they're the first two I asked to, to be part of this podcast, and both of them said, yeah, no problem at all, Dad. You know, whatever you well, want to say. Yeah, thank you, Montana. Thank you, Mavi. Well, they did you proud. But enough about them because next time on Rugby League Rebel Part 2, MG takes off the, the boots – he takes off the the it takes out the mouth guard, takes off the shoulder pads, and he straps on a headset and a microphone. MG, the media icon that you have become. We explore your first steps into the world of media. Oh. Good luck. Rugby League Rebel Part Two: The Mark Guy Story drops every Wednesday, six a.m. on the Listener app, live and exclusive.